You're listening to Is God Mother, a podcast exploring the World Mission Society Church of God. My name is Sheely Salas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Amy Stapleton. We wanted to start this first episode off by introducing ourselves and talking a little bit about why we started this podcast. Amy and I are both working in Christian campus ministry, and so we're Christians, and we often meet with college students to talk about the Bible, theology, and what it looks like to follow Christ. And we decided to create this podcast to explore the concept of God as mother, which is a belief that the World Mission Society Church of God holds. Even though there are a lot of great podcasts out there about different groups um, and different cults, this group has not gotten a lot of attention because it's not as big. It doesn't have as many followers as, say, the Church of Latter-day Saints or Jehovah's Witnesses. And yet, at least where we're at in Colorado, members of this group are really active on college campuses and trying very hard to recruit students. I'm really excited to learn more about this. Um, I was first approached by them a few years ago, actually in Denver. I was grabbing coffee with a friend and they came up and asked me if I was interested in joining a Bible study. Um, But we got into this hour-long conversation and they were kind of explaining their reasoning behind why they believe God is the father and also the mother. And they had a lot of scriptural proof for why they believed these things. And I knew that it was totally off, but I didn't quite know how to counter their arguments. And so I'm really excited to learn about this because I think this is going to be a great tool for Christians who maybe encounter uh, people that are a part of this cult. And um, yeah, they'll have a better response on, on how to engage in conversation with them. Yeah, that's the goal. Yeah. <laughs> so starting with this, I think it's good that we kind of start with our basis. So Amy, first question I want to ask you is, what is a cult or how would you define a cult? So someone who really follows a faith is going to define what a cult is, I think, pretty differently than someone who's just out in the world. Mm. And actually, I, I know you're not prepared for this, but I want to put this question back on you, Sheely, oh. because I want to hear just off the top of your head when you think of the word cult, like what comes to mind? Right. And if you had to cobble together like a little definition based on (laughs) just, you know, based on your perception, because that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about your average person's perception. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say two things come to mind. Like as Christians, we talk about uh, having our core beliefs, which I would think would be defined by the gospel that, um, you know, Jesus loves you, died for your sins, um, that we're all made new in him and it's not by our own works that we get to heaven, but it's through Christ's righteousness that we're able to be with God. And I think any religion that steps away from that gospel or changes that gospel, I would say is false theology and I would consider a cult. And then I would say maybe another defining characteristic that I've seen, they really try to isolate their members from society, um, cutting off from Anything, anybody that believes different, there is sometimes a fear factor, like you're not allowed to ask questions or you're excommunicated, that kind of thing. So there's just a, an isolation from society around them. Mm. I think you put your finger on uh, something really important. Well, let me start with this. I think the word cult, especially leveled at someone who is in a cult, mm-hmm. feels like this weapon, you know, being thrown right. at them. And th- and it's actually one of the reasons why if anyone you know is in a cult or you suspect they might be in a cult, don't actually approach them with the word cult. The very taboo um, word. <laughs> it's super taboo and it's going to put them on the offensive. And and that's because I think in general most people's perception of a cult is these very intense things like 
There's a charismatic leader who, you know, has a lot of control over their people. Stephen Hassan actually has a book. He kind of wrote the book on like behavior control within cults. Mm -hmm. And so he talks about information control, behavior control, all these different things that are kind of true about cults. A cult doesn't have to be all this control, all this isolation, Mm -hmm. all this sexual abuse, all these things, you know, stealing your money, all these things that are normally true of cults. It actually doesn't even have to be that. I think a Christian would just say the first thing you said, which is Mm -hmm. there are beliefs that the church has held true, these traditional core beliefs about Christianity, about what is and is not true of God. They've gone through the test of time. I think the only prerequisite for a cult to be called a Christian cult is just that it deviates from one of those Mm -hmm. in a big way. So there's a seminary professor, Dr. David Sills, and he gave kind of a fun way to think about some red flags of a cult. And it's it's this idea of like, how does it deviate from what Christians have held true mm-hmm. for thousands of years? And it uses an addition sign, a subtraction sign, a multiplication sign, and a division sign. Okay. And so he says, addition, anything that adds to the word of God. So you'll see this a lot with, cult. you know, they yeah. will add, they'll say, yeah, the Bible is important, but we have this other book that's very important. Or even if it's not a book, it might just be... The Bible's important, but there's not these additional rules or right. Yes, we have other rules to live by. We have a prophet who heard from God, Mm -hmm. so that should be put on the same level, if not higher than the Bible. Subtraction anything that subtracts from the deity of Christ. Mm -hmm. So you'll find this in a lot of cults. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Especially a lot of cults that look a lot like Christianity. Like Mm -hmm. a lot of people look at Mormons and they're like, really? That's basically the same thing. Basically the same thing. But if you look at what they believe about the Trinity, mm-hmm. uh, God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you will see that they subtract from the deity of Christ. Yeah. And they actually don't hold true to the Trinity at yeah. all in the way that Orthodox Christians have for years and years. So you'd so. say it sometimes hinges on who they say Jesus is. Mm-hmm. As Christians, we would say Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. Mm-hmm. So you've got God the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, which are three persons, mm-hmm. one God. But that Jesus was never not God, you know, and there's this idea in some cults that Jesus started out as a man, but Mm -hmm. then became God and you can become a God too, you know, Mm -hmm. things like that. Um, So anything that subtracts from the deity of Christ um, and then multiplication Anything that multiplies the requirements for salvation. Mm -hmm. So this is huge. Yes. (laughs) I think we'll get more in depth later into, you know, what does some of these cults have in common? But I mean, just off the bat, multiplying the requirements for salvation is huge. Because as a Christian, what would you say are the requirements for salvation? It's faith in Jesus and it's by grace and grace alone. Exactly. There are no works involved in getting to heaven or salvation. Exactly. Countless Bible verses that are very clear back this up. Mm -hmm. And yet you will have cults that say, yeah, it's faith in Jesus, but it's also faith in our prophet and holding to what he says is true. Or yes, it's faith in Jesus, but you also have to keep all of the feasts that mm-hmm. the Bible outlines. Mm-hmm. Um, or yes, it's faith in Jesus, but you also need to tithe 10%. Mm-hmm. And that's required. And if you don't, you're not in good standing with God anymore. Yeah. Cults are always saying these sorts of things, yeah. multiplying the requirements of salvation. And that's yeah. a huge red flag that these people aren't actually Christians. We wouldn't call them. 
And then the final one, a division sign. Anything that divides the cult member's loyalty between the cult leader and Christ. Mm. So a lot of these groups, they'll, they'll say, yeah, we believe the Bible, but you also have to believe this person and, and their teachings. Mm-hmm. But it's like the isolation aspect that you yeah. pointed out earlier. Yeah. They kind of, I think the isolation allows them to completely ignore how those two things contradict. Mm-hmm. In every case where they're right. saying, yeah, we believe in Jesus, but we also believe in, you know, this other prophet, but they ignore the contradictions mm-hmm. therein where, but Jesus said this and your prophet is saying that they and they, they don't match up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So anyway, I would say that when we're defining cult, that's kind of where we start as Christians. Of course, there are other things that, that are true about cults often that I think just your average person on the street would say are true. You know, things like having a charismatic leader, things like having isolation of the group, things like having control of their information is Mm -hmm. huge. Also their behavior, sometimes in very blatant ways or sometimes in very subtle ways. It's like money is Mm -hmm. um, a big factor in cults. You'll find yourself spending money, more money than I think is reasonably expected. (laughs) Walter Martin has written a couple books about cults. And he's kind of seen as this authority on the subject, especially among Christians. Um, One of them is called The Rise of the Cults. And he defines pseudo-Christian cults as those that adhere to doctrines which are pointedly contradictory to Orthodox Christianity and which yet claim the distinction of either tracing their origin to Orthodox sources or of being in essential harmony with those sources. Mm. In other words, it's, yeah, it's just a pseudo-Christian cult is the cult that claims to be Christians, but is not. They'll generally claim to either be like the true church or that they've recovered long lost truth Mm. or practice taught by the early church, Mm. or they'll claim that their founder has received revelation from God never known before. Mm. We kind of uh, have a basis for what a cult is or how we would define a cult. Are there different types of cults? Yeah, there are different types of cults. We are going to talk most about pseudo-Christian cults in this podcast because a podcast about all the different types of cults, you would probably need like a thousand episodes. Yeah, it'd be (laughs) insane. We don't have that time. Um, (laughs) In Irvine Robinson's book, What the Cults Believe, he outlines like four different types. And he says pseudo-Christian cult, which I think we kind of talked about what that looks like. Um, There are cults that are distinctly Eastern. He kind of just puts all of those in one group. Mm -hmm. And then he says there are Christian Hindu cults. Um, so they're basically they're interpreting the Bible according to Hindu teaching. Mm. Actually, one example of that is Christian scientists. Okay, yeah. Which, if we ever get a chance to talk about, they're just fascinating. Yes. And <laughs> maybe one of the most poorly named cults out there because they are neither Christian nor have nor anything to do with science. <laughs> and then there are also just personality cults. Okay. So um, these don't usually have anything to do with a religion, but they just gather around like a single authoritative leader or founder. And they usually fade away when like the leader dies or there's no new truth revealed. So those are the different types. But for our purposes, we're going to focus on the pseudo-Christian cults. And specifically, once we get into it, I think in later episodes, the World Mission Society Church of God and some of their beliefs, um, including how God is mother. Yeah, that's great. So since we're focusing on pseudo-Christian cults, um, what sorts of things do the major pseudo-Christian cults have in common? I would say one of the most important things they have in common is they will claim to have 
exclusive revelation from God. Mm. The Mormons, uh, Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, when they want to make changes um, to their faith, and they have made a lot of yes. changes over the years. The Mormon, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have not. I, I they have not stayed consistent, and most Mormons are aware of that. Actually, um, they wouldn't say like. Hey, here's a here's a change I think we should make, and here's why. Here's my reasons, or or whatever. They they will say, God revealed this to me. God revealed the necessity of making the changes mm-hmm. to these doctrines. Mm-hmm. Their revelation comes with authority and exclusivity. Mm-hmm. Like God has only revealed this to them. The Jehovah's Witnesses are no different. Charles Taze Russell claimed that his writings were indispensable to the study of the Bible for Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm-hmm. And that to study the Bible apart from his inspired comments was to go into spiritual darkness. That's a bold claim. It sure is. Yeah. <laughs> And this, I mean, this is so common. Like, they they will make you think, like, you can't approach the Bible Mm. without me. You can't approach the Bible on your own. There's no way you can study it. There's no way you can study or really understand it without my specific uh, teaching or revelation. Even the founder of Christian Science also, even though it's really not, like, a uh, Mm Christian-based cult, even she has this book, Science and health with key to the scriptures as a divine revelation. Mm. And she would say, like, you can't understand, like, the real keys to life and truth unless you read unless her you read. book. Yeah. Her and then book. in conjunction with the Bible, too. So they will always claim to have revelation from God, whether it's a prophet or just a person who they don't always call them a prophet, but someone who has just divine knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Are there any other things that the major Christian or pseudo Christian cults have in common? Yeah, sorry, I only covered one. (laughs) They, you know, a lot of times it's not just revelation from God about how to study the Bible or how to understand truth. Um, It's it's usually, too, they've at some point had a revelation from God about when the world will end. Okay. So there's this emphasis on when is the world going to end, and usually at some point in their past, they've heard from the Lord about when the world was going to end. Mm -hmm. And that date came and went, mm-hmm. and they've had to like change their story based okay. on the world. Not actually, not actually. That day. Yes, <laughs> yes. Thinking back to 2012, yeah, there's been all these different years throughout histories for these different groups about when the world was going to end. One example is uh, with the Seventh day Adventists. Mm-hmm. Ellen White claimed to have this like revelation or vision from God saying that the world was going to end in June in the 1800s. And then when it didn't happen, she said, no, actually I misunderstood. It's not June, it's September. Mm -hmm. And then that didn't happen either. And somehow the group still followed her and she just kept changing her story or saying, oh, I, I misinterpreted this, um, it's going to be later, or, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's really fascinating, actually, how yeah. these groups even get off the ground with how much this is always somewhere in their past, yeah. the inconsistency with yeah. the world is going to end, and then no, no, it doesn't. The World Mission Society, Church of God, has this in their history as well. Okay. But, yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. And then I would say another huge difference with cult, and there's, there's a lot, I'm not going to talk about all the different things that um, these pseudo-Christian cults have in common, but mm-hmm. um, there's usually a big emphasis on works. And so... That um, multiplication of requirements for yes, salvation. Yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, multiplying the requirements for salvation and making people think that works... You know, a, as a Christian, you would say something along the lines of, like, works 
even though they're not required for salvation, they're, they're, have been good works prepared for me by the mm-hmm. Lord, right? Like right. Jesus says, like, I've got good works prepared for you. Um, I want you to do good things and good works, but we understand it's nowhere a part of our salvation. Yes. That's, like you said, a gift by grace through faith right. alone. That's it. Working out of our justification. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. We do, we do good things because it's the example the Lord set us and because we already know we're saved and yeah. forgiven, right? Whereas a lot of these groups would say, no, you have to believe this, this, and this, but you also have to do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, you're not in good standing with God. Or or actually what comes first is the church. You're not in good standing with our church mm. if you don't fill in the blank. Okay. And members take that to mean since they've been convinced that their church is the only true church. Right. Because they, only they, have this revelation from God. Yes. Whatever. Exclusive revelation. Exactly. Yeah. That they're not in good standing with God at all. Mm. So... With the World Mission Society Church of God, for example, there's a huge value for keeping the Sabbath Mm -hmm. in the way that it was outlined in the Old Testament. On Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And then, um, and other feasts too. So if you look at the Bible, there's there's all these feasts laid out. And so they keep all the feasts. They keep the Sabbath. There's a huge emphasis on community service. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think a big reason they do that is for their image. If you walk into like any like of their offices or um, like especially if it's like a, a church that's in a bigger city, probably the first thing you see when you walk in is a bunch of pictures on the wall of them accepting awards for all their community service and okay. all the good things that they've done and their medals and ribbons and they get awards from the government. Really and they... racking up those good works there. Oh, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I mean, even if you just go on YouTube and search World Mission Society Church of God, one mm-hmm. of these like promotional videos will surely come up and you'll be able to see wow. all the good things they've done around the world. Okay. So. And I don't want to discount that those things aren't good things right. because they are. Mm-hmm. They've done a, an incredible amount of community service, and I don't think that's um, a hoax or anything. Mm-hmm. When we think about some of these claims that they that these pseudo Christian cults have about, you know, it's belief in Jesus as well as doing these things or belief in these other things. What would you say are some concrete scriptural proof that that is not true and that it is by grace and grace alone? Yeah, I, th- I think about Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Mm-hmm. It kind of starts all with, yeah, the traditional Christian view of ourselves and our status before God mm-hmm. is one that puts a lot of emphasis on our sin runs deeper than we even know or realize. And in God's eyes, like... Our, our sin is so deep and so rampant in our lives that there's no amount of good works we could do to be right with him without his help. Mm-hmm. It puts us in a state of humility before God and that we need his help and want his help. And and if you ask yourself too, like if, if it really is just, you know, me needing to do all these good things and, and here I am as a part of this group doing them, mm-hmm. Why did Jesus even have to die then? You know, like, why was his death necessary if I just needed to be a good enough person? Mm -hmm. And so Christianity would understand that even though God wants us to do good things, this has no bearing on our standing with God. Um, And even as as that verse says, when it says the wages of sin is death, 
the free gift of God is eternal life. It's a free gift given to us. Mm-hmm. And it couldn't be accomplished without Jesus dying for us. It's not a gift obtained by good works. It's just the free gift that God gives us. Absolutely. Yeah. So we don't we don't do good things in order to be good with God. Mm-hmm. We are already good with God because of what Jesus has done. And so we work to do good things as out a way of gratitude. to exactly as a way to love him, glorify him, follow his example and out of gratitude. Even thinking about John three sixteen, you know, kind of wanting to go to a verse that's very yeah, popular, classic Catholic, um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I want to read that in the couple of verses that follows because mm-hmm. I think this makes the point really well. John three sixteen it says, "For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life." And then it goes on to say, "For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him." Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. If you looked at the New Testament and just cobbled together all the verses that talk about what it means to be saved, Mm -hmm. you are going to see overwhelmingly that we were condemned Mm -hmm. and Jesus came, could have condemned us, but didn't and instead came to save us only through him. Mm-hmm. I think this is one of the really, really sad things that happens when people get involved in a cult, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. the whole basis of Christianity kind of dissolves yeah. because our sense of gratitude to the Lord and our sense of humility and helplessness without him, I would imagine it's not there anymore because instead you're so focused on Okay, I have to do this. Yep, I got to make sure I meet these requirements. I'm going to make sure I do these things. And I'm not saying that the heart isn't already or isn't sometimes there accompanying that, but there's no delight in God. It's all out of duty and trying to gain right standing with God out of instead of just embracing that already through Christ. Right. Yeah. And if and if you looked at the New Testament, oh my goodness, that's that's probably the thing that Paul and so many others. Books in the New Testament, you know, are spending the most time speaking against. Reiterate, yeah. <laughs> like, it's not you. It's not your works. Yeah. It's a gift. Grace alone. Grace alone, yeah. Stop um, adding things. <laughs> right, because we know our human tendency to just to want to add and add and add because yeah. we we don't want to rest on God's grace And we want to be good enough. And we want to be good enough, yeah. yeah. We want to feel like, I did this, I deserve this. Mm-hmm. It's much more comfortable to stand before God and say, look at, look God, all the things I did. Look all I did for you. I sacrificed for you. I kept the faithful for servant. you. I tithed for you. I did everything you told me to mm-hmm. do. I'm good with you, right? Instead of standing before God and saying, God, I don't belong here, mm-hmm. but you sent Jesus. And so here I am. Thank you. I yeah. couldn't be here without you. Yeah. You know, like it's it's a different all mindset completely. Yeah. Yeah. Since I brought up tithing as an example, I, I do want to say something about money, too, as something mm-hmm. else that the pseudo-Christian cults do have in common. I didn't know this until I started looking into mm-hmm. it. All the major pseudo-Christian cults require a 10% tithe. Wow. As is laid out in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. So, um, and if anyone's listening who, you know, isn't a Christian, doesn't have any experience with church, um, 
this is not normal. <laughs> yeah. um, no one, even if you've come to a church and they've passed around an offering basket and asked you, you know, to give something, like it is There's supposed no to be, yeah, it's yeah. supposed to be a free will offering mm-hmm. given because you want to, not because you have to. Mm-hmm. And um, all of these groups do it. Um, Adventists and uh, Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses and the World Mission Society Church of God they all require a 10% tithe. Um, sometimes it's like gross and sometimes it's net. Um, mm-hmm. That kind of diff- differs, but it's in order to be in good standing with the church. Mm-hmm. There's actually a podcast I was listening to um, called Playing in Traffic. The whole, the whole purpose of the podcast is to talk about the World Mission Society Church of God, but it's mm-hmm. done by a woman who used to be a member mm-hmm. for over a decade, and wow. she was a deacon and she had made trips to Korea to meet God the mother and okay. she was as deep in as you can go basically yeah. and now she's kind of talking about her experience being involved and now that she's out and what mm-hmm. it was like and she doesn't know where she stands faith-wise anymore mm-hmm. and so I don't know yeah she's kind of evaluating everything thinking like I don't so know if I want to experience yeah her. for sure yeah but she was just talking about, in addition to a mandatory tithe, the church celebrates every major feast, uh, like we said. Mm-hmm. And for each one, there's another special ask for money. And so you're not only mandatory tithing 10% of your income, but then, what, like seven times a year, um, okay. you have these special asks for the feasts that you're meant you're, you're supposed to give to more. Feasts and then yep. required to give more money. And then the required feast. to give more money. <laughs> And they would have members of the church pay for things that the church should be paying for. Yeah. And that's that's a pretty big red flag. It's not, it doesn't always mean that a church is a cult, but I think mm-hmm. it certainly means that something is wrong. Yeah. Because when a church takes offering, it is meant to keep the building going mm-hmm. and, you know, provide supplies and equipment mm-hmm. and things that the church needs. It's yeah. also meant to pay the people who work there. Right. But when you have a church asking you to show up with, all the food for an event to feed 100 people once a month. These sorts of things were happening to her. So she wasn't already tithing and then giving to all these special asks, but she would also come to these events and supply, you know, all the food. Or she would buy lights for the church or she would buy, you know, all these little things that it's like, wait a minute. You're giving so much. Something here is wrong. And and it just begs the question, what is the church doing with all this money that they're getting if they're not covering these sorts of things? It's a really big question Um, to ask. Yeah, where's your money going? Yeah. It's funny. I didn't know quite at first how the money aspect was the factor with the World Mission Society Church of God because it's not as blatant as like um, the Christian scientists. Mm -hmm. The biggest reason Christian scientists can't expand and get new members is because of how much it costs to be a Christian scientist. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So it's it's up front in your face. Like you want to know like the truths about the universe and the world and how things should run. You got to pay. And then you got to pay more to go deeper and more to go deeper and more to go deeper. Okay. This is more like... They're going to ask you to tie. They're going to ask for a lot of special asks. And then they're going to ask you to even give more and more and more. And so even this woman who was doing this podcast was talking about how, you know, at one point she met with someone from their church because she was having money problems. Mm -hmm. The conversation they had with them was like, well, you should pray and maybe there's some sin and maybe you're doing something wrong and Mm -hmm. you should be able to afford these things. Why can't you? And it was kind of directing her back to herself. And, and it's just bringing up feelings of guilt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. And now that she's out, she's like, 
guys, I can pay for everything I need to. Yeah. You know, like, I, I'm pretty... I'm fine financially. <laughs> the, the problem was definitely um, how much she was giving right. to the church. How do you think Christians should respond to this idea of pseudo-Christian cults? Um, just maybe if they're approached or even if they maybe know someone, a friend or family member that they suspect might be involved in a cult. How, how do you think we should respond as Christians? Don't be like me where the first time I was approached, <laughs> I just, I, I think anger just rose to the, to the forefront yeah. so quickly. Um, and while I didn't say or do anything I regret, I think my demeanor was was very angry mm-hmm. and outraged and argumentative. And, and I think that's, I think it's natural, especially if you are someone of faith already, to feel very angry because this is someone who's distorting and twisting the gospel of God mm-hmm. and what we know to be true and leading, trying to lead trying others, to lead others astray, astray yeah. right? I think the thing to remember, though, is whoever is approaching you, they really believe what they're saying. Mm-hmm. They are hooked 100%. If they're going out to share this with you, or they think this is the true church, the only way to be saved, the only way to live, they would say, this is an act of love, what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to go share the truth with other people. Just as you and I, when we mm-hmm. go share the gospel, that we are really doing it from a place of love just because mm-hmm. we know we love the Lord. We know the Lord tells us to share. We want to go share with others no matter the cost of comfort or time or energy they are in the same boat and so I regret my um my first reactions Mm -hmm. when people ask me for those reasons because I didn't treat them with compassion that's where we need to start and if it's hard to not respond with anger or argumentative you know I think the thing to keep in mind is that they are not going to be won by your argumentative nature or by you using the word cult I think there's a chance if someone is calm and seems reasonable but also seems caring towards them that they might give you a hearing. Otherwise, uh, this is just the way cults work. Like they will go back to their group at the end of the conversation or at the end of the day and they'll say, I was persecuted for the gospel. Praise (laughs) the Lord. You know, like even this woman who did the podcast playing in traffic, um, she was talking about how, you know, people would come to me and say, I think you're in a cult. And I would say, oh no, I'm, I'm sure that I'm not because the group had prepared her to hear that. So the group and the leaders will have already told most of their members, Hey, you might have someone come to you and say, they think you're in a cult. Here's exactly why you're not. It is interesting, isn't it? It's very manipulative. (laughs) It is very manipulative. Yeah. But I think the reason why they're able to do that and get away with it, it comes back to like our very first question. We talked about the difference between how we would define a cult as Christians Mm -hmm. and how the world would define a cult. So if somebody comes to them and is like, hey, you guys go to door to door. I think you're probably a cult. Cults Mm -hmm. go door to door. You know, like they're prepared to hear that and be like, no, like we're just bold in our faith. Mm -hmm. Like we're just doing what Jesus called us to do. Or if someone comes and says, hey, you you guys are isolated. They would just say, no, like we're just a picture of the community that the Mm -hmm. Bible lays out. So there's these criteria that the world throws out about what a cult looks like. Mm -hmm. And they're ready with like, no, you just think it's a cult because you've never seen anyone truly follow God before. Mm-hmm. Our group is truly following God, and that's mm-hmm. why it seems like it's outside the norms of society, but it's really not. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think understanding how a, a Christian would define a cult 
is so different. I think bringing up the things that are like the deviations from Orthodox Mm -hmm. Christianity is going to be the way you want to go. There's some tips on like dealing with a cultist and what the cults believe by Irvine Robertson. He talks about first like you should quickly move into command of the conversation, steer the discussion, ask questions, use scripture. Mm-hmm. Probably the reason he says this is because most of the time when a cult member approaches you, they have laid out Paired. exactly what they want to say. Yep. Yeah. And it that's, will... That's why I Really? I okay. To them. So yeah. did it feel like they approached you so that you could listen yes. and not talk? Yeah. 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 And they took me directly to scripture and revelation and the Genesis, like laying out the logic behind why they believe God is the mother. And they were, it seemed very prepared. You know, you can wait an appropriate amount of time. You can wait a couple minutes. Mm -hmm. And if they're not giving you time to respond, Mm -hmm. I think that's the time when you, you know, kind of gently wedge into the conversation to say, hey, like you you mentioned this actually could... Could we talk more about that? Could I share kind of my views on that scripture? Mm-hmm. Or even like if they're approaching you out on the street, like could we sit down and talk about this sometime? And even just moving them into a scenario that feels like more friendly. Yes. Um, Less like they're on a mission to share yes. what, what they're about. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, you really do with someone like this, they have a script, they want to convince you and persuade you. And so you're starting out 10 steps behind. So anyway, you want to do basically whatever you can to to show them that you, you are reasonable um, and you're knowledgeable about the yeah. Bible too. And so you're not, you're not trying to put them down or squash them or like, oh, I know more than you. That's mm-hmm. not what we're saying. But I would say that they're probably coming into the conversation assuming that most Christians are unaware. Are unaware. Yeah. yeah. They think they know, but they really don't because they don't have this extra revelation from God. They can't see things clearly like mm-hmm. I can. And so you want to show in subtle ways that you know um, what scripture says. Um, so we're, we're going to get into this a lot more later with like the exactly what you could say text that you could cite, um, when they bring up certain specific questions. Yeah. So that'll be for a later podcast episode. (laughs) Yeah. I'm excited too. I think it's so important to evaluate where your heart posture is first, even if Mm -hmm. you're going into this as a believer, you know, knowing that you want to start with compassion, that it's not, you're not going to win them over to Christ, like with an argument, um, but to actually even do a heart check for yourself first before approaching this conversation. Yeah, that's really, really helpful. Absolutely. Yeah, I need, I I needed that advice before I I got a break. I probably needed that too. I went into like speech and debate mode immediately. I was like, show me the evidence. This is incorrect. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. Totally. And it's, it's really hard not to, at mm-hmm. least for me. So I would say don't argue. Don't even sound like you're arguing. Like, at least maintain the appearance of respect for this person's beliefs. Um, don't, don't do things that are going to make them feel small or don't mm-hmm. put them down. Um, don't ridicule them. Things that you should do, like use scripture. Give your own testimony. Because mm. we all know there's mm-hmm. no denial for someone just giving like a clear account of what God has done in their life. And depend on the Holy Spirit too. I think anytime that I'm going out and sharing my faith, I'm internally, either before or after or during, sometimes I'm asking the Holy Spirit to lead me, guide me, give me words to say, help me have love and compassion for this person. One more really helpful thing is just knowing what the cultist believes. Knowledge of their beliefs and a knowledge of the key texts that they're going to quote and mm-hmm. send you to are going to help you disrupt 
their prepared presentation mm. and direct the conversation Have along more, more genuine positive lines. Yeah. And I'm almost quoting word for word um, what Irvine Robertson is talking about in his book, but right. it's because I think it's so good. Yeah. And it's like the reason we're doing this podcast is because, you know, your average person on the street doesn't is not at all prepared for what this yes. person is going to bring to you and say, yeah. did you know that this? Did you know that God is mother? And yeah. you're going to be like... And they're, they're prepared to <laughs> present their argument in a way that's most convincing. And so, yeah, for us to be aware of that going into the conversation is also really important. Great. Well, I think that's all we have time for for today. Um, we covered what we wanted to talk about for our first episode of this podcast. Uh, but Amy, what are we going to be talking about next week? So next week, we are going to talk about the World Mission Society Church of God more in depth. Um, we're going to look at, yeah, what is their background? What's a part of their history? We're going to outline their core beliefs. Mm-hmm. We're going to find out, you know, that they believe that there is a second incarnate Christ mm-hmm. and that they believe that there is a living God, the mother, a Korean woman alive yes. today. Um, I and we mentioned that before. Yeah. That's what I remember <laughs> hearing that. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So we're, we're really going to do a deep dive into them as an organization and, um, Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that. Me too. Very excited. Well, we hope you guys join us for next week's podcast. We'll see you later. Bye.